Welcome to the Dare to Scale show with me, Varsha. And me, Evan. So what is Dare to Scale? Over the years that we've been coaching founders and business owners, much like yourselves, we work through a framework called Dare to Scale. Dare to Scale, indeed. That framework has helped loads of business owners, and that is what this show is all about. So, put on your big picture thinking hat. Oh, and your headphones. And come join us and enjoy the ride. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode. Thank you for joining us today because Evan and I are summarizing 10 mentoring lessons which shaped our life so far. Absolutely. And it's interesting to have the spotlight actually shining on us for a change. Um, And it's a little bit obviously about our story as well. So how do we put these mentoring lessons together was a really good question that we were sort of grappling with. We thought, you know what, let's start like this. Imagine a driving holiday with, you know, when you were a kid. It's early in the day, everybody's fresh and keen, singing along to the radio and you know, playing the odd game of I Spy. Things couldn't be better. Unbeknownst to the driver and the passengers, of course, was round the corner was an unexpectedly large obstruction. And of course, rounding the corner and seen a little bit too late by the driver, the car hits the bump, obviously too fast, too hard, becomes airborne and yeah, careens off the road, only to break an axle and get stuck in a ditch. Look, fortunately, everybody's okay in the car, unscathed, but the driving holiday is for sure over for now. So just like the driving holiday, so too were our happy childhoods disrupted in our mid-teens, a little bit earlier than that, but really in the mid-teens. The changes we both experienced brought our idyllic life to a screeching halt and set us on a whole new trajectory. Oh, of course. So, well, so let me relate your story as I remember it. Mm-hmm. So you were born into a business family in southern India, and really you had a golden spoon rather than a silver spoon in your mouth. It was absolutely and really idyllic um, sort of family setting. The family was very well off, and thanks to a very entrepreneurial grandfather who had a, you know, a wonderful vision and a very strong head for business, running his private bank. He was a gold trader as well, from memory, and he had additional side businesses all over the shop. And you know, he was so well known like everywhere, from Sri Lanka all the way to the UK. And although he had actually passed on by the time you were born, he had left a powerful legacy. And you grew up hearing his stories and, and you're enjoying the privilege of that idyllic childhood. I did. So again, from memory, you, you were encouraged to read and listen to a wide range of music, you know, from pops to classics, both Western and Indian, but by both your parents, actually. And, you know, you were a very smart and curious child. But that innocence was interrupted around 12 years old. And you began to notice that some things were changing. Yeah? Yes. The cracks were appearing. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, at 12, it's obviously such a young age. So so taking a step back, your grandfather nurtured and grown the family business single-mindedly, absolutely single-mindedly over a a 40-year sort of span. And he was truly visionary in everything he was doing, marketing his business ideas and just how he operated the business. And as it turns out, he had one very outdated sort of view, and that was on succession planning. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to that in a second. 
I remember you telling me a story about his marketing and that was, <laughs> go on, tell me. Well, you know what? We could actually do a whole episode just on the stories I've heard about my grandfather. But this particular one is, it was just so innovative. So he obviously ran a private bank. And from memory, what I remember is a little story where he had hired somebody to, so the shutters are down. So it was almost like a shop window or a shop front. And with the shutters down, he had hired somebody to sit behind the shutters, a stone and a bag of coins. And his job was to pick up a coin, hit it on the stone and drop it in another bag. That was so finish the bag of coins. So all the coins are transferred to the next one and repeat the whole process. And this was his job for a good hour or so. That was his only job. Do you know why though? No, and why? at what time of the day or night? The shop front was on the path to and from a very popular cinema. And in those days, you had the late night show and it finished at around, I think, around half past 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And everybody, and look, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about in the 1940s, 1950s in India. It was a small town, so most people would either be walking, and those were not the times when people had cars. So people would walk, and all they could hear was someone counting money. And the impression that everybody walked away with, wow, that's that's actually sounds like a successful business right there. That was his job. And that is how he was marketing his business. And you think, I don't even know what to make of it. And of course, as a child, I thought, well, that sounds really good. But today, doing what we do, I think, wow, there are so many stories that you can take from there, from the way he was a leader, the way he was grooming people, his absolute direct way of communicating, which I am often accused of um, having inherited. There are some brilliant stories that we can turn it into a podcast, but over to you. You were telling my story. I was indeed. It's about projection, right? So yeah. the story th that he wants out there, and, and, and wonderful marketing, absolutely wonderful marketing. However, we were talking about the cracks that were appearing, and it was about succession planning. That's right. So he'd assumed that the next generation would be, you know, automatically as engaged as he was and would apply the same level of, of dedication to the business. And unfortunately, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail. And as it turned out, the, the job of the, you know, taking over the business from your grandfather fell onto your, your dad. Mm -hmm. And he was the youngest of three brothers. And he was about to take up, I think it was at, at Oxford, if I remember rightly. It was. And, you know, he was a, a literature student and, you know, that was his thing. But the job of running the family business fell on him. Like I say, first and foremost, your dad was a literature student um, and he really didn't know what running a business entailed. And of course, in those days, there was little avenue of support for the entrepreneur in India at that. That was in the 60s, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, actually, he started in the business way before that. I think he started around the 50s, very early in the 50s. As a, as a very young boy, he had already started his grooming, if you will, his mentorship. But he really took over only in the 60s, very early 60s. But first and foremost, the point, though, is even though he was there and he sort of knew what was going on, he wasn't a business person. And he was he was actually no. the, a literature person. 
That's the short answer. No. And he did a really good job, but he had no idea who to ask help from, where to turn to for guidance. Inevitably, from what I remember is there were some poor decisions that were taken. And over the course of sort of 10 years, things started not going very well. That's when you were shipped off to live with extended family. And that was at the age 12. Mum and dad stayed to, you know, they were struggling with the business, but you were uprooted from everything that you knew. So you were separated from your parents, pushed and pulled out of your comfort zone. Um, There was a lot of disruption. And, you know, school itself was a, a struggle. And you've actually told me that you had clinical depression. And because in those days, nobody knew even what that was. You know, so let alone diagnosis or, or, or treatment of it, you know, it was just basically largely unnoticed. It was. So by the time you were 16, the business had folded um, and your parents had been forced to, you know, to move away from home. And while you were reunited with your parents, the family fortune was gone and the struggle to put the next meal on the table had actually begun, which leads us to the first mentoring lesson. And this was actually from your mum, if I remember rightly. Never be afraid of starting again from scratch. Indeed, it was my mother who first told me that. That was the beginning of a brand new phase of my life. Let me take you to a whole another continent. Evan was born in what is now Zimbabwe. It was called Rhodesia back then, wasn't it, Evan? Yeah, no, it was, it was. And Evan, you were also born to a business family. And mm-hmm. your journey somewhat mirrors mine because everything you knew was also disrupted at the age of 16, but for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Your dad was a commercial farmer, like his dad before him. And while a success, he was always struggling with labor intensive methods and the occasional drought. And I think it was more than an occasional drought. And the industry itself was like that in those days, it was labor intensive. It still is in many ways. Mm-hmm. Your dad's real passion, though, I remember you telling me so many times, was in mechanics and the streetcar racing. He was Absolutely. very gifted at both. Yeah. I mean, he would work during the week and he had an Austin Healy that he raced and a Lotus as well. But he would load them up onto the truck and on the weekends he would drive off. If it was a Harare or, or Salisbury, as it was at the time, there were a couple of local tracks around there. He'd sort of race and then go back and because sort of, he was working with his dad on the farm. And, you know, that was all great. But sometimes he actually went down to Lorenzo Marx, which I, I can't forget what, but that's in Mozambique. So that's a good six, seven hours away, probably even more. And, you know, go down there for a weekend of racing and then sort of drive overnight, coming back and get back to work. Anyway, yeah. So he was really passionate, really passionate. And he, he was a really, very, very good driver. How brilliant is that? Farmer by the week and race car driver by the weekends. Yeah. What a difference, though! My goodness, it pulls apart these two. These mm. two, I won't call them both as interests because one was the job and the other was that absolute passion. Passion, right? Yeah. yeah. So, Evan, despite all this, your father followed his father's footsteps since mm-hmm. that was inverted commas. That was all he knew. Yeah. Your dad had learned his business practices by osmosis from his own father. While continuing with the family tradition, he was not really able to truly put the business first or make any inroads into the evolution of it. Yeah, it's like it's always been done this way kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but 
he was proud of his, he ended up buying his own farm um, and he was very proud of it, kept it really nice and neat and all of that. But he was more a perfectionist than, you know, the excellence, if you will. How brilliant, because what also comes to mind, which you speak even today so fondly about is your dad really was and is still a family man. And the Mm -hmm. family enjoyed a fabulous life with absolute unfettered access to the outdoor spaces and all the adventures that you had together. Yeah. And amongst your, one of your fondest memories, I remember, are fishing and camping holidays that you had together. And interestingly, participating in sailing regattas around the country. (laughs) Totally. I mean, it's, (laughs) go figure, right? I mean, I loved sailing school, right? There was, it was every May, because in Zimbabwe, there's there's three terms for the for the school mm. year, but the May holidays is is when sailing school took place, and Dad always helped with the motorboats, the powerboats that the instructors would have with all the different groups that were learning, literally learning how to sail. And when I became a senior, I actually stopped racing. I started helping teaching all the beginners, and it was just it was such fun. But it was a whole week's worth, you know. So there was teaching and learning, you know, for the five days odd. And then there was essentially the regatta, the the best of seven races or something at the end of the week. Um, but it was, it was such fun. It really was. Well, since we are talking about business, we come mm. to the real business head in the family though, which mm. was your mother. That's true. Who saw a tremendous opportunity and opened a general's trading store on the farm to tap into the local working families living in the district. Mm-hmm. So while your mother was born into an employee mindset at home, she had the courage to break the mold, Evan, as mm. it just it's amazing to hear this story and to start learning the ropes of her new life, which was entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. I remember you saying she bootstrapped the business and kept reinvesting the profits, developed her people and doggedly kept her eye on her goal. Man, that takes some courage and determination. Absolutely. The reality is also, you said she wanted a better economic life than what a commercial farm would consistently deliver. And moreover, she wanted to provide the best education and opportunities to her three children. Yeah, and I mean, that's a heck of a dream and a driving force. As you said, it's, it takes courage to start, yep. but absolute dogged determination to see that through. Yeah. She learned to walk the talk and made a thriving business the envy of all the stores around the district and beyond. How it just, these are such wonderful stories of success. Look, I mean, even today in India, and it was like that in Africa as well, if somebody was going to save that extra little bit of money because they got a better deal somewhere, they would actually make the effort and go. And that's, that's essentially what happened. Believe me, it is not limited to India or Africa. Mm. that's what, as a buyer, that's what we look for. Mm -hmm. So when somebody is giving that offer, we would always go for that killer offer. And that's exactly what your mother was giving. Mm. Brilliant. So Evan, you were sent off to boarding school at the age of five, along with your two sisters when it was their turn. And this is because it was your mother's determination, isn't it? And you were sent to the best primary schools the country had to offer in those days. That's true. Yes. And in fairness, boarding school was also necessary because at that time, the Rhodesian Bush War was raging. Mm -hmm. 
it was more a security measure that you three children were shipped off to relative safety because I'm, weren't your parents actually serving as police reservists and managing yeah, they, they were. Yeah. They were doing all of that. So they were called up as happens um, in those sort of circumstances. And they were doing that, running the business and yeah, just juggling lots of balls. Wow. The strain on your parents was immense, I'm sure. It's absolutely unimaginable. So by the time the hostilities, when did they end? They ended in around 1980. 1980, yeah. Yeah. And by then, everyone was tired and the country as such was coming together to rebuild. Life started to resume a normal pace. And for the most part, you were all together moving forward. Yeah. The truth, however, was that the civil war and the agricultural business don't really lend itself to economic prosperity as soon as you would like it to be. Mm, that's true. And your parents, of course, were aware of what was happening and they could quite plainly see. And they decided to put their family first and they made plans to emigrate. That's correct, yeah. They sold off whatever they could and managed to get some of their capital out of the country despite the tight currency regulations in those those times. Evan, you were 16 at that time, weren't you? Yes, when the family migrated, yeah. Yes, and the family migrated to Australia. G'day, mate. <laughs> and the world that you knew was gone for good, Evan. Mm. And moreover, I think it was back to basics and starting all over again for you and your family. Yeah, it absolutely was. And nobody has a unique sort of a story in a way, but it's quite interesting how, as we sort of said, the, the two stories sort of mirror in a way. And funnily enough, at the age 16 is sort of where, where there's a similarity. Yes. Back to your story and your family were starting again. So your mum, it turns out, had the, the entrepreneurial head that was needed for the task. And I know she'd been running some several side hustles and stuff while they were running the original business, and she was making some good money. She was now called on to focus on the main game, you know, like the she took matters yeah. into her own hands and basically leading the direction forward. So I think she helped you start a business, and she sort of marshaled all, all your resources and then began mentoring you in earnest. Unfortunately, you were forced, I think, to drop out of school to work alongside your mum. Um, because really there was no other means to support the family. And I mean, I, I mind my heart breaks when I sort of, when I consider that because education is, look, it's a privilege, but you do what you have to do. So, I mean, I doff my hat completely, but that reminds me. So mentoring lesson two, I can hear your mom saying this. There are opportunities everywhere. Be curious, think 10 steps ahead and plan which one to take on. Learn everything you can about it and become the best at every aspect of it. Such wise words. So you'd taken a vocational course in beauty therapy, mm. and then you began working long hours, you know, a good 15 hours or so every day, if I remember rightly. Oh, that's, that, that's a lot of work. That's true. 5 a.m. Because there were, and again, my mom being who she is, there was another side hustle that she had started with me. So well, my day actually started at 5 a.m. and finished at around 9 p.m. or maybe even 10 some days. Oh, wow. And that was the thing is you actually began with your mom's help to build your first business. And you realized every single rupee counted and contributed towards putting food on the table. I have to giggle because you said if you were to ever write your biography, the book would be called Five Rupees because it signified the difference between three people having a square meal or going hungry at the time. That's true. Those were the mid 80s and five rupees meant the world 
to us at that time. Five rupees in those days actually was a lot of money. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, relative to it actually meant something. Exactly. It meant something. Yeah. So anyway, the business really started going well and it was flourishing. That you were really good at what you were doing. And so that basically the business grew, the family got back on its feet. And I mean, absolutely kudos. So the thing is, though, your mum was farsighted and realized you need to get to a bigger market, you know, to take on more opportunities. So she decided it was time to relocate. And you ended up, I think it was Hyderabad, right? You moved to a bigger city and obviously Hyderabad is rather a large city, right? <laughs> so it turned out to be a really good decision. The business obviously continued to flourish and it really grew to some pretty good heights. In fact, so it was a beauty therapy business and there was a second complementary business, which was the institute, right? Yes, it was a technical institute. Wow. The daffodils, if I remember rightly, is what it was it called? It was, yes. Anyway, so the second business, and that also began growing. And it's kind of ridiculous in a way. You became quite the rock star, if I remember rightly. So you made a name for yourself and you were actually recognized around town. So... In fact, your vehicle was recognized before you were. <laughs> so you were parked somewhere like, oh, watch this inside, watch this inside. So, I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. So your clientele grew and it, it actually went interstate in the sense that people in the surrounding states actually came to you. And I think that's incredible. And, you know, I love this particular bit. The whole success was actually centered on a simple philosophy your mom had. And again, I can, I can hear her saying it. Well before Richard Branson made it famous, your mother had taught that business is all about people, from your employees all the way through to your clients and your suppliers. And I mean, she actually re said this again recently when she was visiting us. She said, look after your people, make them feel valued and heard, and they will give you so much more in return. Look after them, and they will look after your customers completely. And here endeth lesson three. <laughs> so look, by then you yes. were about 26. So you'd been doing the business for about 10 years. And really, it seemed like there was no looking back. Um, you had everything. You had a wonderful home, a nice vehicle, two businesses running well, money flowing in. Really, what more could you want? Step in the mentor. <laughs> Plenty, according to your mum. And, you know, it's it sort of, it was like, really... <laughs> So firstly, she says, complete your education and never stop learning. Okay, tick. And secondly, she said, move abroad or at least move away so that you can expand your outlook. I thought, wow, interesting. So on the first count, you know, <laughs> she insisted you finish your, or get a business degree. So yeah. night school and all of that. So not only were you working long hours, you were then going from Hyderabad to Mumbai, I think, I think you said you were taking the train and- yeah. Those were interesting days. Oh, it's completely right. And I mean, you must have been so exhausted, but you know what? You did what was required, you know, and that was for your businesses. You got the degree. And on the second count, mum sort of pushed you to go and experience other things. Um, you'd had a brief stint in the UK where you were doing some training over there and you traveled a bit and then eventually sort of ended up coming to, to Dubai. Um, but that was the thing, as your mum said, you're made for better things. So go out and experience the world. Evan, earlier you said I would have been exhausted. Do you know, in those days, there was no such thing as exhausted because the goal was very, very strong. The goal was very strong, very clear. And I had a mentor who was guiding me, showing me by leading me by example. It's not part of our mentoring lesson, which it, it really should be, is she said, 
I was about about 24, 25 and said, there's no such word as exhausted at that age. That's the age to work hard. You know, those days were different. <laughs> you, That's true. Parents would hear this today and it'd be all shock horror. But it really was like that. You just get up and get on with it. Mm. You get up, have a shower, get dressed and get to work. There was no such thing as, oh, I'm so exhausted. I don't feel like doing anything. And then you would get physical looks to say, what else would you do then? Although I was even then... I have to say it was a tremendously balanced life. There were still books, there was still music, there was still art, there was culture. I was surrounded by all this. I was encouraged and we always had access. We were never distracted by this from the goal, which was to rebuild our life. And that's absolutely amazing. And like I said, mum encouraged you to move away and it was based on the fourth mentoring lesson. And yeah. that is be aware and open your eyes. Unlike the frog in a well that just accepts everything it can see, jump out of the well and really see what there is to see. Well, let's go somewhere else now. Australia. Your, Evan, your family had to fit into the fabric of a whole new country and a whole different culture. And they also had to, along with that, pick up the financial pieces of their life to continue moving forward. Man, that must have been a challenging time for them and for you guys, mm. you and your sisters, to not only settle in, but really find your feet. And resilient as you all still are, to find your new level. Although it did take some years, isn't it, to fully settle, because that's true for anybody when you move to a whole different country. Yeah. It's a good five, seven years before you can even start calling it home as yeah, such. Totally. And look, I'll just show you that for me, like mentally at the, at the cognitive level, it, it was always the right decision. Yeah. But I had this sort of funny thing and it, it was actually a couple of years I, I traveled and when I actually flew back into Australia, it was after a couple of years, I actually felt, oh, you know, I'm coming home. But that settling thing, interestingly, the family had settled around Brisbane and I was in the workforce for quite a number of years, but I never really totally and utterly felt settled until I went down to Melbourne to work there. It was, it was really bizarre. Thank you for sharing that bit. So while making the most of the lucky country, you said first found good jobs and then bought into a successful franchise at that time. Mm -hmm. And for your part, you knuckled down and finished your schooling in the Australian system and then went on to university. And you studied business as well and then joined the workforce. Absolutely. So what was interesting, Evan, for you, was that your parents now took to employment rather than set up a new business because they were coming from a business background and yet in a brand new country, they took up employment. And I think this was for several reasons, um, wasn't it? Including the capital investment required for a new business, the risk of starting a new venture, the vastly different labor market and... I think more subtly, the fear of failure when starting again at the age of 50. Because yeah, and, I mean, today 50 is a new 30, but in 30 years ago, 50 was 50, you know, just yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. you don't start something new at that age. Even the franchise really amounted to a job, didn't it? Because it was almost self-employment because the income was modeled on trading hours for dollars. And at that stage, the business model was such that the cream of the income disappeared into the franchising fees. And 
this is important um, because you later recognize this as survival thinking, Evan. And ever since you said this, these words have stuck in my head that this is survival thinking and it pervaded the whole family. And this had a deeper impact than you would think. Well, seeing the confidence your parents had before migrating disappear overnight, you learn that success can be fleeting and the entrepreneur within needs to continually dig deep to moving forward, which brings us to mentoring lesson number five. To get out of a job, most people get into self-employment. Trading hours for dollars is not a business. You're back in a job. Absolutely true. Yeah. Brilliant lesson. And then you now pursued your corporate career under your new reality and worked in across several cities in Australia, didn't you? Mm, and you, yeah, predominantly your the sector that you worked in were hospitality and investment management. Mm. Your corporate career, of course, Evan, as we all know, knew no bounds and you continue to grow. What I am so happy to say that you knew that your true calling and purpose was lying somewhere deep inside, unanswered, untapped, and unsettled. Entrepreneurship, you knew, was going to play a big role in your life, <laughs> just as you had seen it play for your parents. But at that time, you just didn't know how. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. It's like an unfair advantage in a way where you've seen the results and you know what is possible, but you don't know necessarily where to start. Mm. You know? So it was, yeah, it was very, very mm. interesting. And Evan, before we move any further, I want to put a little subtitle to our story over here, because this is where our world, ours and your and my worlds collided. Thankfully, for greater success, we collide, they did. And they collided on the golden shores. Yes. Uh, like, like you like to say, off to the golden shores. Off to yeah. the golden shores. So back to your story. So you'd taken your mum's advice and you ended up coming to the golden shores of Dubai. And you'd initially done some consulting work and finding that you loved the vibe and the energy of, let's call it old Dubai, because Dubai back then was, was very different from modern Dubai. It had a, a different kind of a charm, but you actually loved what this, this city had to offer. And you decided to you know, essentially set up your businesses and make a permanent move to Dubai. Now, you were still looking after your parents. So you left the interest of everything and all of that for your parents. And when you came to Dubai, you essentially took up employment. Now, look, do know a lot of things. And look, maybe that's for a different, a very different podcast. But there's a lot of things that happened in those basically 13 years before you started your third business. But what you were doing was obviously saving, um, biding your time, looking for the right opportunity. And eventually you did see that. But yeah, it took about 13 years. So when you came to Dubai, 13 years and 13 years later, you ended up finding, as I say, it was, it was around 2008 and you found the right opportunity. That's true. 13 years. And you're totally right in saying those 13 years could actually be a whole another book. Uh, <laughs> totally. So much happened with everything, my personal life, my, my health, just the struggles and the challenges of moving to a whole new country without a family, just by yourself. And there was, I knew nobody in this place, nobody. 
what I absolutely knew and I believed in was the strength of this city because it even back then, this was 25 years ago, even back then, you could see that there is certain energy and vibe in this place that it was just, it was a, it was a diamond in the rough, if you will. It was waiting to emerge into this vibrant city that it is today. So mm. yes, those 13 years, whole another podcast. And as luck would have it, Evan, you work with some great mentors during your corporate journey as well. And yeah, one absolutely. Them, one of them managed to find you an opportunity here in Dubai and you decided to join him here. Yes. You took up the challenge just as your parents had done before and I had done at that time. You took up the challenge and moved to the golden shores of Dubai where you were to experience living on your third continent. Oh my God, I don't think I've ever met anyone else who has actually lived in three different continents I'm sure there are so many, so many people out there. But when you talk about those different experiences, the different cultures and everything that you absorb and we become global citizens today and it, it truly shows in you. And I, I love that. So, yeah, you moved to Dubai, making this your third continent and you really assimilated into the, the local culture and the wonderful opportunity that came knocking on your door. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was in the mid-2000s, and Dubai was going through a heck of a growth spurt. <laughs> and there was a lot of travel, and there were times when I was working on US time and Thailand time and all sorts of things. But it was, yeah, it was crazy times. It was all good. However. It was wonderful times, because that brings us to the mentoring lesson number six, which I say a whole lot these days is when the time is right, you see the light. And that is true for all of us. It's similar to the when you're ready, the teacher appears sort of a quote because we, mm -hmm. we definitely see the light. When the time is right, we see the light. It could be shining on us the whole time. But if the time is not right, we don't even realize that there is actually a light that is guiding us. And it could be in the form of an opportunity in the people that surround you, in your own strength, when the time is right, we recognize all of that. I totally agree. Should we put a subtitle here again? Because from here on are some of the defining moments that we started gathering into our little memories notebook. Mm, defining moments. Absolutely. So we first met through work. I was still mm -hmm. in that 13-year phase. And we met through work and we became really good friends. We shared a love we still shared a love for travel good food cinema superhero movies oh, of course crosswords <laughs> just music concerts everything so our friendship of course at that time it was a friendship and it sparked up and then we gave in because we knew it was developing into something even more even greater and we dated we traveled together for a couple of years and eventually said yeah I think this is it and we got married and in in those days you were still in your corporate career and that also signified the end of those 13 years for me and I then said you know what this is the end of 13 years because this is it exactly I'm gonna step back into entrepreneurship and I started my third business 
My you first did. one in Dubai in those days. Mm. The interesting thing is a lot of people refer to themselves as like between jobs. Mm. You, on the other hand, were between businesses. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, yeah. in that 13 years we talk about, essentially you took a breath, you considered your entrepreneurial journey to date. And look, other than the loss of your childhood and the, and the innocence and the, that huge disruption that did actually happen when you were in your mid-teens, you realized though that there was a silver lining and the entrepreneur within you had been awakened. And you'd actually cut your teeth, so to speak, on two businesses already. Yeah, I had. So you'd come to understand your grandfather a little bit more. So wonderfully successful as he was, he could have done a better job with succession planning. Mm. So that was one point. You also arrived at the conclusion that there were two things your father could have done better. And one was to ask for help. The second, which was actually probably more relevant just in that particular context, was to set better boundaries between family and business. And more particularly, to say no. Oh, yeah. Every word is true. So mentoring lesson number seven. Know who or what to say no to, so you know who or what to say yes to. So when you saw the opportunity, you went ahead and created your virtual business support company. And that was just after the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. So you were ready with your capital investment, the wisdom gained from your previous businesses, um, you had your mother's mentoring, and of course, your own introspection and your, your own sort of learnings. The big difference, if I remember how you told it, was that basically you've started this business by choice because you're good at something rather than being pushed or pulled or forced into starting a business to survive. Big, big difference. One thing, though, was clear, and you've said this several times, where you were not yet a true master of your business. And you know, kudos to you, learning from your dad's mistakes as well. Like You addressed this perceived gap. Um, you found a business coach, and you started working on improving both your mindset and the internals of your new business. You know what? That's probably why you're a coach now, because working with the coach was a revelation. You know, Apart from having a trusted third party to bounce ideas off, the coach started holding you accountable. <laughs> And I think that's amazing. So you said you were going to do something. You're having great fun, aren't you? I am because. Talking about this. (laughs) I I am because I've seen you as a coach in action with our mentees, right? And they squirm and all sorts. And I I can imagine how it was for you. (laughs) But we all learn, right? We all learn. Hey, you know what? Just for the record, I still have a coach. Not one, two. Two. So I still get held to task. So you've learned and you've taken the, the action and you've got a coach. And I, I just think that's brilliant. So there's so much to, to actually learn, right? And it was actually a joy to be taking the new information, taking the new perspectives and actually applying it into your business. I know you've wondered about this a couple of times where how different your life might have been if your father had just asked for and applied the right help in his business. My life would have been different, yes. Probably duller if I... Yes, thank you. Because while my life would have been different, I don't know if I would have been the same person. I am so glad it happened the way it did because I value everything that followed so much because everything that who I am today is shaped by every single day that every new day that dawned in my life. And that's true for us all, isn't it? There's very little point. And my mom still says this. If you look back, look back with pride, not with regret. 
because yeah. you are still standing here because you dared to take the next step forward. Absolutely. And I love that. The no regrets. Some days it's harder to remember that. <laughs> um, but mostly, absolutely, you look back and you think, you know what? I've learned so many things along the way. And it reminds me now of the, the next mentoring lesson. And that is, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. I love this one. <laughs> oh, look, I'm bendy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, if anybody's wondering, that was Phoebe from Friends, right? So when you were working in your mastermind groups, you found that like you were informally coaching them in their businesses. And naturally, Rosha, you then went out and qualified as a business coach. I did. I went and got the proper certification. I went through the whole training. It was, I have to say, that is when I really realized what I really love doing. It is, it was a wonderful, wonderful time because that's when I realized what I love, what I love doing. And I'm so glad that my life took that turn and coaching and mentoring became such a big part of my life. And you know what? You've not looked back ever since, which leads us lovely into lesson number nine. And that is unlearn and relearn to expand your capabilities and vision. Like in the Zen master story, drink from your cup of tea so it has room to be refreshed. Yes. If you haven't read that story, maybe just look it up or read our book because we talk about the story there. It's a beautiful story about unlearning. And when you find a chance, go look that story up. And Evan, you, on the other hand, at that time were in your corporate career so you had moved on from hospitality to theme parks. Yeah, it was still at the investments of the space. Yeah, but it was in a mega theme park development. Yes. And I remember it was incredibly, incredibly taxing. And what I remember very clearly, that it was taking a toll on your health. And despite all this, what kept you going was the sense of accomplishment that you were part of such a major part of Dubai's development. Yeah. That kept you inspired. Completely. It was making a future for Dubai's tourism sector. So yeah, yeah, it was a big piece. And when at home in those few hours that you were at home and literally few hours over the weekend, you were working such long hours in those days. You were also watching, you had a ringside view, if you will, <laughs> of what was happening in my world the whole entrepreneurial arena was opening up. And there was one particular day, I remember you saying, I think it was a Friday afternoon after lunch, you said it was bringing back all those positive memories from childhood of your parents' success that were coming, really coming alive for you when you were watching what was happening. Mm. And at that stage, really wanted to get involved in that world didn't know where to start though and mm. I respect you and admire you a lot because you recognized that you had a lot of limiting beliefs that were haunting you I'm still a little bit haunted it's fair to say <laughs> but you know what I mean it's like you learn and you evolve yes you recognize that and you took action you took action to overcome those limiting beliefs you took action and you were quite decisive at that time. 
because the resolve was getting stronger with each passing day. And at that time, I remember I had my own concerns because the business was growing and I really needed almost like a partner or a co-founder at that stage. And the bigger concern really was you were always tired. And my biggest fear was that one day, and you know, I still tremble just saying these words, that I'm probably going to get a call from your office to say that you have collapsed and I should come over and take you to the hospital. So I decided I don't want to test that theory. I really, I'm not waiting for that call anymore. This is it. And that's when we sat down and talked about how you could come and join the business as a CFO mentor. First of all, take charge of that side of the business that you were so good at. And that's when this massive opportunity that came through and that mentoring, I go back to that mentoring lesson number nine, which was about unlearning and relearning. And you really did that. There was a massive amount of unlearning that you took on. Before and as you stepped out of your corporate role and when you stepped into your newly purchased entrepreneurial shoes. Some habits die hard though. (laughs) That is true. And yet what you achieved in those days is tremendous. And we see even today, Evan, when we mentor people, it's not easy for everybody to do this because we get fairly set in our ways. And unlearning and relearning something new doesn't come easily. And I'm so glad I did for you, or you made it look quite easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the duck on water, right? Yeah. Or the swan even, you know, all graceful above and paddling like heck underneath. Paddling like crazy underneath. But what you did really well in those days, and you still do, is mentoring SME founder to financial literacy, because not everybody understands and grasps all aspects of the business. Yeah, that's true. So I go back to that day, Evan, when you resolved to make a change. You went to work, you put in your papers, and you came to join the business. So such a momentous day. And I love you for it. I am grateful to be a founder that has such immense strength as a co-founder and a partner right within my family. It was brilliant. And we haven't looked back since then. No, we haven't. And I mean, for me, just being in that wonderfully grateful position to know that you don't have to stay or feel stuck or trapped. Yeah. And it really was such a blessing to be able to, in inverted commas, you know, get my life back Yeah, and actually do something with a definite purpose. That's true. I just totally love it. So this was a good few years ago, Evan that you came and joined the business. Since then, we have now gone on and started a whole another brand purely focused on building that ecosystem to help the SME segment grow, help the SME segment scale sustainably. And just as any startup that is also going through its own challenges. And again, going back to that previous lesson, With every new brand, every new business I've started, there is so much to unlearn because we are evolving constantly. The market is evolving constantly. The way people do business is evolving constantly. And you've got to adapt. Reinvent to stay relevant is what our constant learning has been. 
And we now come to where we are today. We're so grateful that we are sort of living the dream, if you will, that we always thought we would because we, we still travel well, we haven't for a while now, but that, that's besides it for a whole different reason. When we are able to, when the world gets back on its feet and begins to travel, we will continue traveling. You will continue scuba diving. We pursue our hobbies. I'm a parent to two ex-racers, thoroughbred horses. I spend a lot of time learning from them because there is something to learn from everybody. And Everything revolves around that one phrase strategy that internally that we built for ourselves. And I, this is something that we talk about quite a lot, even when we mentor. And maybe I'm going to take this couple of minutes to say, having a personal one phrase strategy is key to guiding how you lead your life today and you see your tomorrow. Our one phrase strategy would you believe, and I'm sure it's very easy for you to believe because we've been talking about this, is will what we do today help us travel? Because travel plays a big part in our life. And it then filters into everything we do, absolutely everything we do. Because sustainability is key and sustainable businesses will give you, the founder or the CEO, the freedom to do what you want to do which is your personal one-phrase strategy. The one thing that most entrepreneurs know of, very rarely practice, is the mentoring lesson number 10. Evan, you tell us what that lesson is. That is to celebrate your wins, but delay your gratification. You're after your vision and living your dreams, so set yourself up for success. Remember, money is only a means to enable something greater. Beautiful. And, you know, for us, the, the biggest win overall is that through every struggle, and actually you were talking about this, um, we, we've had our respective journeys um, and struggles. There's always a brilliant learning experience to be gleaned. Yeah. And I admire just how you run your business. And it's like a national sport, right? You support your team, your clients, your customers. You're always thinking of people. And it, it really is that major lesson from your mum. So the crux of everything we do is to ensure that no one else's life comes to a screeching halt if it can be helped. So, do you remember the broken car in the ditch? Oh, you mean from the driving holiday. That's the one. <laughs> well, it was recovered from the ditch and the axle repaired. Now singing along to a new tune and playing the odd game of guess where we were last month, our new family's driving holiday continues. Because we did. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for joining us and listening right to the end. Head on over to daretoscale.fm to subscribe and access show notes and transcriptions. Oh, also, did you know that we have a Facebook page for our podcast listeners? Come join the conversations at daretoscale.fm slash Facebook. Absolutely. Oh, and also remember to give us a five-star review so other entrepreneurs can find this podcast like you and get value to scale forward their business. Fabulous. We will see you at our next show. Bye for now. Bye.